Welcome to Got Grief, with me, Holly Sumpton, and Craig Henry, a podcast for adults bereaved as children to share their stories of living side by side with grief. Craig lost his mother to cancer when he was just eight years old, and I lost mine when I was six. Trying to understand something like grief as a child can be really confusing, and it can sometimes seem impossible to know who to turn to. And as we get older, this can begin to feel really devastating. But there can also be hope in the comfort that comes from sharing your experiences with others who understand you, and from simply knowing you're not alone. This is a space for stories to be shared and for voices to be heard in an attempt to start an honest, open and compassionate conversation around grief. So let's get started. Welcome to Got Grief. I'm Nirvana and like Craig and Holly, I lost my dad as a child, but something different in my experience is that he took his own life. Society is becoming increasingly aware of the importance of mental health But it's been a long process, and the pain and confusion of being bereaved as a child is only compounded by the stigma and shame around suicide. Because no two experiences are the same, in this takeover we'll be talking to people who were bereaved as children by suicide, continuing the conversation and making connections with other people who understand. So let's get started. Hi, good afternoon. Good afternoon. How are you doing? I'm very well, thank you. So, I mean, we've just been talking about you've been, you're moving um, and you've been saying that's been a bit, um, it's been, had its good and bad sides. Yeah. But you've, you've kind of really quickly drawn this link between, you know, something you're doing now, you know, moving into your house with your daughter and how, how that's reminded you of what you experienced as a child. Would you be able to give us a, a like brief overview of, so you said you lost your dad an overview of kind of what your you know what your family life was like as as a child what what was it like um well we were brought up um very much strict roman catholic um so you know we were very much centered uh, around family sunday gatherings um I i have very fond memories of my dad um just taking us out everywhere he was very much a keen gardener he liked his allotment um, he also liked to drink as well, um, but he was very much a hard-working man and just just like talking about him now, you know, I well up because it's just like, God, you're missing out on so much now. He sounds lovely though. So you had, so you had, a um, seems like you had a close relationship with him. Did. Um, everybody would, would actually say that I was very much a daddy's girl um, and memories that I have we're always happy. My mum was, it's very much the, my dad was at work, my mum was at home, she was bringing us up um, as kids. So I always remember, remember my mum cooking and um, generally, you know, we had, I had two brothers, I had one younger brother, one older brother. So, that, you know, it was always chaotic. Um, we're always fighting up to mischief, um, very much carefree. Um, and my dad was the security, my dad was the the holder of the family um he had obviously mental health issues which we didn't understand at the time we didn't really discuss it it wasn't really something that they discussed with us as children um i do remember sort of being young and um, having like a nervous breakdown 
um, probably when I was around about seven. Um, and I do remember actually going into the room when he was having his nervous breakdown and, you know, it wasn't my dad. It, it was almost like I was seeing somebody that was possessed. Um, and that's where it was sectioned. And um, that's the first time I, I sort of experienced my dad sort of having problems. But it never altered sort of, I can't remember, maybe my memory's foggy, but it never altered sort of the memories that I have. Of course, yeah. Um, some of it is a bit, bit foggy. Um, I always remember sort of like him noticed I noticed a difference when I was roughly about 10 years old um, and he wouldn't we used to play chess um, and that was a game that we used to like to sit down and I used to ask him and he go I go dad um, are we going to play chess I get nothing from him it was almost like he was a vacant person of himself but I never understood at that point I lost him it felt like, but maybe I, I didn't understand it at that part. Um, I knew something was different. And when he, it was coming up to the Christmas time of 1993, uh, I remembered having a family holiday. That was the last holiday in September. Um, we all went off as a family to Bulgaria and I had a lovely time and it was, it seemed normal. But then we got to December and um, I'm trying to sort of di- dilute it a little bit so it doesn't, you know, gone too long um but we got to um christmas time and we we got through christmas um i can't remember much about christmas day very much um boxing day we held a family party which was tradition obviously we can't do that now with covid but we did at at that time um my dad was just sat in a corner and he was just eating peanuts that wasn't my dad my dad was very much he had lots of friends um lots of friends and you know, he was quite sociable and for him to be sat in a corner, just sat almost robotic, just eating these peanuts. Um, and the party went uh, went and passed and it got to this, uh, the 30th of December. And my dad was, um, at the time, I remember he, he was going in, to, in and out of hospital, which was sort of like a psychiatric unit where they wanted him sectioned again and wouldn't section him. Um, but he had day visits to this place so he'd actually was going to this day place quite on his own we had no thought that he was going to carry out an act that was going to end his life and that day it just sticks with me because now I'm like 38 years old and I'm quite frustrated because I thought this morning when the police came around after they'd identified him um to tell us that they'd found somebody. I was a child and I was kicking and I was hitting out of cupboards and nobody would tell me. And I knew he'd gone. I was saying, I know he's gone. I just had this feeling. Um, and it was brushed off by the adults, you know, my mum, her neighbour and people that I had around me. Um, so it's quite difficult. Even now when I think about it, I'm very much like that with people. Really? You find that that, that experience has affected how you how you relate with people now yeah it's just that you're not telling me the whole truth and I know yeah it's it's almost like I'm questioning a question you're not telling me the truth and like my parent my my mum at the time was just I guess she was going through her own grief process um but after it passed it was just a very difficult time um it is so something had been wiped away um I was traumatized by nightmares that we were going to get murdered 
you know, in these nightmares that it actually been me left here and I'd watched my family be murdered in front of me. Quite the impact of, I think probably now, I probably think differently, but as a child thinking about it at that point, it's very different. Something that's really, something you said that's really stayed with me is how the the police came to your daughter to, to tell you about what had happened because this is something with other kind of grief stories um the kind of loss has been centered on the family itself but with you and with me as well the day that you that I found out my dad had died also was you know police coming to the door asking to talk with my mum and my mum actually sent me and my brother out so that we would wouldn't be in the house to to hear about it yeah, very much. Um, I think that there is something different. I'm not sure how to how to articulate it, but yeah, when 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 people are approached by doctors, I think there's a very different vibe to when you're approached by the police. Yeah, I, I'm just wondering that after. So, were you actually there when when the police were explaining what had happened, or or had you you were saying you were out? No, I'd actually. I, I was actually. In, I was sent mm. out into the kitchen. Um, my eldest brother was in another room. Um, I, I remember we, we were over at a neighbour's house. We were told that the police had arrived, so we had to make our way. And it was then that I was crossing the road and I was saying to my next-door neighbour, I said, my dad's dead. I know he's dead. I know he's dead. Don't be taught so stupid, you know. That's what, you know. It, it kind of shut me out and that stuck with me. You know, it's like, mm, that that was the first corkscrew. Not corkscrew, I'm trying to sort of like describe it, but the yeah the cork of the emotion is like right that's gone in there now um and the police were actually in the dining area and I was actually in I was told to stay in the kitchen along with my brother my youngest brother was actually at neighbor's friend's house at that time so he didn't even find out at that point so obviously they'd had that conversation that they'd identified a male and obviously but they didn't explain that to me at the time how how did your mum explain it to you afterwards Nobody said. They didn't say anything. Just said, he's no longer with us. That was the same with me. And it was only a few, for me, it was a few days later. I think my mum gathered her kind of, I don't know if it was her courage or if she thought of the way to actually explain it to me, but she, she told me, we're not sure, but it seemed like dad wanted to die. And I, I, I mean, I was 12. I didn't, I understood death, but I didn't understand the idea of of no longer wanting to live it's it's unanswered questions it's unanswered it's it's something that you never get an answer to because so many things I think that go through your head and why that person would actually you know what's triggered them you know but as a child when I think you probably thought you know I don't know if you went through this process where was it me was it something I did internalized it to the point where Throughout my teens, I was actually quite ill. I did suffer with an eating disorder and that was, you know, part of the grief was that nobody was talking about it still when I think about it. And that's why, you know, I'm 38 now and I look back and I think, why couldn't somebody have just picked me up at that point? It just saved me a whole lot of 20 years of heartache. But it doesn't happen like that. I think experience and time and the right help, friends and it this is a this seems to be a running theme with not you know not only people who've experienced what we've experienced but also people who've lost parents in other ways that adults completely 
either don't understand or really underestimate how much a young person is affected yeah. by by a bereavement. Even I feel like even more so when when the parent takes their own life. Did did you have any outside support in terms of dealing with your grief, or was it very much left for you? I can remember my mum actually getting. She did actually get child psychologists involved after because she couldn't deal with us. Um, she was going through her own process, and unfortunately, my mum turned to drink not long after my dad had died. So we we weren't we were dealing with the loss of my dad and also the loss of my mum in a different way. Um, and I remember seeking. I can't remember much about this child psychologist and going into this room, but. My mum didn't take us regularly. We only had one or two sessions. But this is 1993, I, I guess, resources. And I, I don't know at the time that maybe what was only available. And even when I had my eating disorder and, and I was sort, sort of helped, sort of like, I think I was about 15, seven, uh, 15 to, in between that bracket, 15 to 17, that I had sort of, you know, psychiatric help to deal with the mm. eating disorder. But never, nobody associated it with death of my father. They always associated it with circumstantial I was a teenager you know society I wanted to be thin it was attention seeking it wasn't it was more about control I couldn't control everything around me I was trying to control everything inside and that, that was the only way I could control was what I was eating uh, it's it's very strange but going back to the the help at the time um, I, I think the resources were very scarce I can I mean I can tell you it hasn't changed much in the uh, in the last few years no I I, I, me and my brother got very, very little support. I wasn't even sent to see a school counsellor. I think uh, my personal opinion is that people didn't know how to approach the topic of suicide with the child um, because other children in my year group had lost, I think one, one girl lost a dad to cancer and another boy lost a, a, a grandfather or a grandparent and they were very much like the whole class made a card for them there was um a real kind of communal pulling together like surrounding them making them feel supported and there was nothing like that for me and I was a very um I don't know if perceptive is the word but I was always looking and noticing things at that age and I straight away noticed the difference in how my loss was treated versus how other people's losses were treated and that was something that actually I really struggled with until I was about 18 or 19, you know, years and years. I thought, why is my loss being treated differently to other people's losses just because it's a suicide? Yeah, I totally, totally agree. Because I remember at school um, at the time that nobody knew how he died, but they had an idea. But my cousin's dad, a few years later, when West the same age as two months difference between us, her dad did the same um when she was seven so that there's a bit of a development gap between obviously me losing my dad at 11 but she I remember at the time like she'd go well I lost my dad the same way you know and you know it just didn't help me out on how I was feeling at the time and I, I just remember people asking how did your dad die how did and I used to tell them I never used to speak about it I died in a car crash it was easier just to say that to get the empathy and the instead of suicide, it was almost like cold. It, yeah, and and before before we started recording, you mentioned like even the word suicide. There is very there's something very different sounding yeah. to it, and I think that's because it it is a 
a criminal term um back from when it used to be illegal and I mean that's something that I always thought was unjust um that's why I I generally say now you know he took his own life to focus on actually like what was he going through rather than what is what did the society think about what he did yeah yeah absolutely I think I totally agree with the taboo of suicide Um, it was equally hard for us because at the time it was Roman Catholic we were brought up very strict so the kind of the belief um was that if you took your own life you wouldn't go to heaven. Which is awful, right? I mean... Yeah, it, it, it classed fit. I mean, I look back now on, and a lot of it is going to... I remember going to confession before my dad died and it was almost like I had to go there and confess our sins, you know. And it, But for a child to go and confess and, you know, they're already wrong. I understand it, it that it can be... That it brings a lot of structure and comfort to people's lives, but especially in yeah. cases like this where where there's I feel sometimes there's an opportunity for to bring even more pain into someone's life especially a child who doesn't have any understanding of what's going on and like you said you know sometimes we wonder did we contribute to that did did we somehow cause that if we had done something different would that not have happened and there's no way that going and talking about all the bad things you've done in your life um helps with helps with that mentality um so you so you've talked about up through your teenage years and the things you've gone through with that it seems like you've been through the ringer yeah um, I mean one could say I could actually probably write a book with all the experiences um but I think probably I don't have the skills or the expertise to write books I can talk but um I don't think it'd be my sort of thing well, if I think it's all it's all about what you feel most comfortable with, right? And what does what you know, what's it doing for you? You know, if if what you're doing is helping you process your experience, then who is anyone to tell you to do something different? So I got to just go to go back to sort of like my teenage years. I don't remember much. I remember just suffering a lot with panic and anxiety, um, fear of going out, um mm. very inwardly, very closed. Yeah not trusting anyone didn't want to open up to anyone the more I opened up and let myself out the the more opportunity allowed people to hurt me and the pain when you lose a parent who's such an influential part of your life and that impact is is quite great Um, and the impact throughout life I mean it wasn't until I've had my daughter and I've had to become a parent that I've recognized that my mind has had to sort of change from being the grieved Angela, the child responses Angela, um, to the mum now. I mean, I didn't even know how to be a mum. When I got pregnant, it was unexpected. We talked about it, but it had happened. Um, but that having Leah, um, my daughter, who's now two, um, you know, was very much the starting point of fighting to get the right help um, because I look back on my teenage years and it was just such a blur. Um, you know, I was getting into relationships that I was looking for a father figure in my relationships and I was accepting anything, no regard for myself at the time. It was all about filling that void. Um, and I feel as though I've gone through like a very repeat cycle. I mean, I haven't gone around sleeping around, you know, with people, but, you know, I've, I've, I've had relationships where... Um, 
the men have been older. That is very much something that I do believe was triggered. You know, he's, he's searching, he's looking. And it was the life event of having my daughter that was sort of like the the switch that flipped um, for me, really, um, to stop this repeat cycle of, of things, of habits, of emotions. And because when I had Leah, it, it triggered, I don't know, postnatal depression. Um, like I said, I've never been formally diagnosed, but I do yeah. feel at the time that it reset me back into that child who'd lost a father. I was swimming in this pit of my relationships not going right. I failed. I failed as a mother. You know, so many unnecessary thoughts, but put me into a place where, you know, my relationship broke down with a dad and, and that's what led me to get um, therapy with. So I was referred to my, my doctors. Um, and I do know there is a lot of people that don't know when they go through this, don't know where to go. And to be honest with you, I, I didn't. It wasn't until I started looking on the internet um started speaking to my doctor um about it and about events and they put it down to postnatal depression um and it's very easy just to say there's some tablets but it was much more deep-seated I knew it was and I knew that it needed to be resolved um and obviously having Leah that was the the ultimate point of of seeking help um and so you pushed you kind of pushed for it for something more than just more more than just you know discussing it with the doctor and coming away taking medication because I was still swimming um I was on a waiting list and I did actually wait um so obviously I started with the problems when I I found out I was pregnant so that was the hormone changes and they gave me sort of the you know medication to sort of treat it at the time and I didn't like taking medication I think that's probably because of my dad's suicide and medication um it was a weakness because I, I thought back of how my dad sort of had problems with his mental health um, right. so I avoided tablets and and stuff but I needed somebody to talk to you know somebody that's not a counsellor not CBT they sent me for CBT and it wasn't CBT that I needed it was somebody a psychotherapist I actually said I need to see a psychotherapist. So that ultimately in turn resulted in a referral and um, I was waiting and things did get progressively worse um, because of that wait time. But I managed to get the help eventually. Um, But maybe it wasn't the right time to deal with things when my relationship wasn't going right. You know, there's always the right time, isn't there? And there's a silver cloud, um, a silver lining to every cloud, isn't there? I think it's really admirable that you did look up you kind of researched what you needed and you and you pushed for it because I'm sure you know the way our health system is kind of functions these days um I think too many people just you know wait and wait and don't really know how much you know don't know what they are entitled to and don't know that they can request things and push for the things that they know need they need to improve their well-being and improve their life yeah um the therapist is equally important who who you get I mean that is ultimately somebody that you're going to be trusting you opening yourself up so you know it's finding the right therapist unfortunately for me I did the first therapist that I was referred to wasn't for me I didn't I couldn't bond and it didn't work so I actually asked I said it's not working I, I don't think you know it's we've not started on a good foot so they referred me on to another therapist and when I got her, um, 
I can't thank her enough, really, because she was somebody who had actually gone through similar experiences, not quite the same, but understood and was able to help me. And going through therapy was hard, but actually now I can't thank that time. You know, and I would I, I would put myself in therapy again just to talk every week to this lady. Is there is something different about talking to someone who who understands what what it's like yeah gone through something like we what we've gone through I would say one of my closest friendships even though we we kind of barely talk because of time difference and differences in you know our lives um but they also experienced something very similar kind of almost exactly the same and just the difference you know I know I can always go to them and say you know this is how I'm feeling because because of what happened and they know I don't need to explain it I don't need yeah. to clarify or you know I almost don't need to say anything and they understand and yeah and that's that is the battle of the problem you know the the problems that people have is that it's just finding somebody that actually understands may not have gone through the same experience but has some level of understanding and can empathize with you because that's what it is. Yeah. It's just like people qu- quickly move on, don't they? You know, when they don't want to touch upon it. Um, yeah. I think people because... can find it very hard to to, to empathise if, if they have no understanding or, or a real discomfort or anxiety around confronting death. It might just be, I think it's very, very difficult if, if a friend comes up to them and says, I'm, I'm feeling terrible because of my grief and my experience. And they just think, how on earth do I approach this? I think offending people is a, the worry of offending people is a yeah. real problem for, yeah. for a lot of people. But I'm I'm really glad to hear that you know you fought you fought the system and you yep. won. You got <laughs> that was it. I was saying you know I do this is my own thought process is that when I had Leah, obviously that's a life changing event. I'm becoming a mother, so therefore my thought process had to change. That was just sort of like the turning point. Yeah, it was the turning point. I can't remember. So I like look. I look back over the time spent that we've, you know, that I've wasted. I think it's a regret that I've entered relationships where I wasn't. It wasn't really me. Uh, that's one thing I would point out is that almost like when you start to deal with that grieved person, you lose identity when you have a child anyway. But because you behaved in a certain way and your responses to things are different to the normal average person you're always watchful um I want I wanted to ask um since so now that you have a child do you do you think about things that your dad did with you that you know made you happy and do you try and emulate that with I do yeah I do um even to the point my dad was very strict um and I'm probably I, I am probably strict with her she's a child you know and that was the other thing obviously becoming a parent because I, I didn't have that when you're growing up you have mum and dad they are your safety net your security they are your teachers obviously I lost we you know I lost my dad and then I lost my mum through drink she's sober now for probably about seven years wow congratulations to her yeah so things have, have altered on that front but at the time it was quite difficult for us because we didn't have that unit so very much when I was thrown into parenthood, I didn't know how to deal with, I didn't know how to be a mum. I felt everything was a failure. 
Um, whether or not that was naturally just being a mum, you just feel, you know, you're going through that process. But even more so is that I didn't feel that I had the tools and the equipment. And I found myself responding to Leah in the way that my dad would. You know, Leah, stop that. You know, very firm. And I do kind of feel as I've missed out on that element of, you know, somebody that teacher. I mean, fortunately, my grandmother, um, my dad's mum, she was around um, up until her passing in 2010. Um, she was very much the person that was sort of the filler. Um, so my mum wasn't there, but my nan was the filler of that. Um, she was like a, a kind of parent figure. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Um, we never really spoke about it because... We never spoke about the death. Just thinking about that, we never really spoke about it with her. But, you know, when she died in 2010, that was quite hard because it was almost like, you know, there's only my dad's sister left and she's in Ireland now. and There's very little family. Um, it's, just, it's just trying to condense everything to try and help people understand. And I think you spend half your time, don't you, trying to explain and explain to people yeah. just how you understand it. But they'll take whatever they take from it. So, <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, I'm I'm really glad to hear that you you did have that a kind of parent figure who you now clearly look back on with great fondness. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. Um, yes, yeah, so I I found myself resorting to being her as well, <laughs> quite strict. Um, so it's almost like, uh, yeah, you lose, one thing I would say is when you start to deal with that grief child, you do lose your identity in the sense of because you're always responsive to situations in that grieved, that way, mm. your perception of the world at that time, it, it's yeah. a scar and it's a trauma and it repeats itself. And I think it repeats itself throughout life subconsciously, as it did with myself, mm. um, through my relationships, through my responses, my reaction. Even when I said to you, um, about this morning when I was like when the police came around to say that they'd identify because I was pushed away into another room I've gone through life now therefore thinking that you're not being honest with me I've always questioned people very suspicious uh, but it's only since I've had therapy and you know I'm able to sort of look at it now from a third person I try and treat that grief child with kindness because that's what I've been taught in therapies is to treat her with kindness and but you're making a new you so it's quite I'm 38 now and it's what do I like yeah I'm a mum um what um if somebody asked me what do I do you know it's like well yeah. <laughs> I'm just starting out on my new path now so <laughs> yeah. um, um, any any exciting plans in the works um well I've, I, I am I do work um obviously as well as looking after Leah um between um I am going to be doing a psychology and counselling degree next oh, year um I, I was going to do it this year but I decided not to because with the move and getting somewhere um it wasn't the right time um with Leah yeah, um as well and next year things will be a bit I've just got a new jobs so things will be a bit more calmer and of course she'll have 33 hours right uh once she's no, three 15 she uh, 33 yeah. I think when she's three so she's only oh, two three, yeah. moment, so she don't get I know yeah <laughs> um so my, my job's really good well, you know that I'm with um they're really you know they're quite flexible um and obviously we're oh, all working really from cool. home so yeah. it's quite difficult 
um, but it was just uh, I'm just going back to sort of like how my brothers are and have they do you know if they've experienced similar things or I feel sad about it personally I, I do feel sad about our relationship because it feels as though there's a gap mm. within our relationship a void that we've never really gone and sort of like spoke about to each other I know that my brothers you know I see my oldest brother locked in this repeat cycle what I was locked in he hasn't had children so he's not had that life event to sort of trigger that maybe that change I don't know my youngest brother has had children so he seems to he's had his own struggles when he became a dad because never had that father figure he didn't know how to be a father so it, it brings when you lose a parent it brings a lot of challenges I think for the individual later on in life you know because it's it's probably because they've never been taught how to deal with their emotions how to respond how you should feel you know even just to talk about it it's very much closed off which it brings a tear to my eye because I I try not to think of regret but there's a lot of years it we're now in 2000 nearly in 2021 my dad died in 1993 and it's taken me what nearly 20 20 odd years to get to a point in my life where I think it doesn't no longer hold me and that's what I think it does is that you lose that person and it holds you for a long time and everybody's experiences would be very different to mine and I hope that we can all come together and you know one common ground and help others you know help others I think so because even though because even though your your experience has been kind of different from mine I can also see some really strong similarities and actually hearing you talk about it has has kind of made me think about those and even though it's you know tragic what's what's happened um knowing that there are other people out there that have experienced the same thing it it is warming in a way yeah when Um, you said to me at the start of our conversation um when you said that you you know you're 11 and you know you lost your dad to suicide that just it's it brought tears to my eyes because it's just something that you don't hear you don't hear people people don't say that in public do they no, not work. No. <laughs> no, that was really, really comforting because I thought you, you're very young as well. You know, you're 23 and you've got your whole experiences, and it's wonderful what you're doing. I mean, I'm, I'm really enjoying it is the right word, but I feel like there is a value in, yeah, in this whole project. Um, the almost the, the thing that I've felt strongest in your like what you've been saying is how like the chart the experience of the child is so different to the experience of the adult and how the child's perception of everything everything that happens and especially that kind of tragic event is singular almost yeah yeah now that you have your your daughter has that has that changed how you how you kind of perceive her her life experience yeah. you know, as, as, a, as a tiny child. Yeah, it's just trying to make it better for her. There's always going to be that fear that oh, I'm going to die and I'm going to leave her. That's always my biggest fear. And I think that's any parent's natural fear is that, you know, I'll lose her. But um, I try and just focus on what's important at the time. And that's her welfare. That's, you know, her growing and flourishing. 
into happy, carefree, not untainted by the world and society at the moment, but she will be later on in life, I'm sure. But, you know, just allowing her that that innocence and having that childhood. In a sense, we were robbed very much of childhood, not the early years, but sort of moving into that transition of, um, you know, adolescence. Um, I don't want that for Leah. And I think that's a driving force. That is the biggest driving force is to be getting better. And I'd say like no day is perfect. I do get my days where I do go down there and I take myself to those places where, you know, I shouldn't go because it it puts me into a place where I don't need to be um, and it's stopping myself so sometimes you know you do and it's accepting that I think I've just continuously gone around on this merry-go-round I remember with my ex-partner Leah's dad having conversations with him I didn't understand what I was going through and he said Angela we we have these conversations the same conversations time and time and time again and I think maybe that's like you say it's like because he's he never really lost anyone. He had his mum and dad around, uh, and maybe there was that element of you know he didn't understand. Um, yeah, we're on better terms now that we're sort of separated. We're sort of out of the environment, and and I've managed to sort of focus on myself and my daughter to get to get better. So, but it's good to hear that you've stepped off the merry-go-round. As it were. Yes. Yeah. I mean, it's trying to. It's trying to bring. That's how I try to explain it to people. Is bring metaphors in, you know, to trying to explain it to people who don't have understanding. Is that imagine? And this is what I always used to try. The trauma of a child. Trying to explain mental health problems to somebody who has no experiences. But I had this trauma. This is this happened, and this is what happened. It was just wasted. It was wasted. I should have saved it for therapy. Well, if you could say something like that to yourself as an 11 year old you know knowing everything you do now this good place this better place that you're at now do you have anything do you have anything specific you would say to the younger you to the younger me oh it's almost like I have empathy and a warmth for that little child because I took the blame on myself and the weight of the world was on my shoulders at such a young age that no child should have to go through that and I suppose it's I just look at I try to look at myself with love and kindness and we're always saying now at the moment be kind be kind and what better message to just actually be kind to you nobody's perfect we're all I'm not perfect I don't proclaim I'm perfect but you know, we're all in this together. That is such a beautiful thing. There's only one in yeah. and one out, so that's a really I feel like that's a really beautiful place to end that message. You've been listening to Got Grief. If you'd like to know more about us, you can follow us on our Instagram page at Got Grief Podcast. A huge thank you to all of our guests and listeners, and tune in next time for more Got Grief. <laughs> <laughs>